everyone. I'm Esther Pan Sloan, Head of Partnerships, Policy and Communications at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Welcome to Season 2 of Capital Musings, UNCDF's podcast, where we are focusing on fresh ideas and new innovations that serve our mandate to make finance work for the poor in the world's least developed countries. You can find our Capital Musings podcast on Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.uncdf.org. Today, we're glad to be speaking with Carrie Bannigan, founder of the Conscious Fashion Campaign. Carrie is a social entrepreneur, event producer, and strategic advisor spearheading global fashion, retail, and media, public-private partnerships that advocate for sustainable development. Carrie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a small town, countryside British girl. (laughs) I grew up in the East Midlands that actually, although in the countryside, just north of London, is also an extremely industrial town, a place called Corby. And when I left there and went on to study English at Sheffield Hallam University in the north of England, it was an interesting journey because I actually never wanted to go to university. I had already got a taste from the small businesses around me and friends and family that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But after some painstaking conversations with my mom, and of course she was correct, it was that I came to understand education was going to be my passport out of this town that I had grown up in that didn't have many opportunities. It was a struggling working class industrial town. And so I went to university and had a great time, lots of experiences. But all the way through this, I was still like, I want to be an entrepreneur. And as soon as I graduated, I had the opportunity to actually head to New York City. And so I went at 21 years old, moved to New York City, got a green card. And honestly, this journey of fashion started very quickly from there. And the beginning of my career was actually fashion show production during New York Fashion Week to highlight independent fashion brands from around the world. And really, actually, the understanding of how can we use fashion and culture to leverage economic development and opportunities to to give people that chance and really diversify what was going on at New York Fashion Week, because this is going back now nearly 17 years. And so for me, at the beginning of my career, what I thought was sustainability was economic development, opportunities, especially catered around females in fashion, and how we could look at these popular sectors of fashion and media to speak about social issues. And so that's where a lot of my work started. And it was fantastic. But then I think like many people that work in sustainability, you have this aha moment where you realize there's so much more going on. And that happened for me. We were producing shows during New York Fashion Week and tons of industry there. And at that time as well, phones had become a big deal of actually filming. You had attendees living through the experience of the show on their phone. And that to me opened a whole new world for these designers. Because then all of a sudden, not only is it retailer, media and stylist, they're watching the collection. You've now got their whole communities, their followings on social media being exposed to these brands. And I knew that these brands were scalable. I knew these brands were sellable. And I also knew these brands were cool and the industry was embracing them. But I remember then just thinking, what if economic development isn't enough 
And what else is around that? And what is interconnected to this? Who are we giving opportunities to? We don't know how they sell. We don't know the materials. We don't know how they hire. We don't know the working environment. We don't know anything beyond what we are seeing really on a surface level is a beautiful collection that we want to support led by a brilliant team. So once I started researching and looking into understanding more about brands and what that could be in fashion, I say I fell down the rabbit hole that I never came out of. And you start then really understanding the garment workers. Then you start understanding the next steps from there is material, water usage, disposal, and really just the depletion of resources as well as the unfair conditions for workers. Everything I loved about fashion really crashed around me. And I realized that I was playing a very active role in the negative side of fashion. I was actively supporting this society that is all for this perpetuating of buy now, this is trendy, get behind this. And when digital came in, that only escalated to a level we couldn't even imagine. And at the same time, I had also become an advisor for the Public Foundation who is focused on media tech and data for good. And they were doing a lot of work with the United Nations for the Sustainable Development Goals. And once I discovered the Sustainable Development Goals, I was just so puzzled as to why the fashion sector that was so extremely powerful and in a way, in an extremely negative way at that time, and the United Nations with this blueprint for good, how they had not come together, why they weren't speaking, because fashion is such a powerful industry. And that was the birth of the Conscious Fashion Campaign, really being able to drive advocacy, education, and engagement to connect the fashion industry with the Sustainable Development Goals. Thanks, Carrie. That's so much to take in, but thank you for sharing your journey and how you got to where you are. I think it's really great that you're casting a spotlight on the fashion industry. So for people who do not follow fashion regularly, they may just see the clothes, or when you're talking about fashion shows, they may see two minutes of beautiful clothes walking down a runway. But that represents, of course, as you point out, thousands of hours of work, hundreds of thousands of workers, a supply chain, a value chain, and billions of dollars of economic activity. So of course, fashion is an enormous actor in the efforts to achieve the sustainable development goals. And thank you for your work in trying to build ties between that industry and the SDGs. So why does the fashion industry need to become more sustainable? And just to your point right there, you have said it, it's so powerful that actually without the fashion industry on board, I truly don't believe the sustainable development goals can be achieved. The agenda is there to show us how we can do better for people and planet. But when you take a step back away from the garments and the shoes and the jewelry and actually look, the fashion industry contributes to over $2.4 trillion dollars. With that, it employs over 60 million people worldwide. And then when you look even further, it's actually mostly women. And so with the controversial and the devastating ways of the fashion industry, it's also extremely harmful to women. 
And the fashion industry, when you move it away from people and start looking at planet, it's one of the most polluting sectors out there. And the list goes on and you keep looking. And especially when you start trying to map it out against the sustainable development goals, you start to realize how many goals it negatively is impacting. It's not driving progress. It's causing harm. The fashion industry is also a sector that connects so many of us. And through our daily lives, we can make such a difference with our choices. Our clothes are an expression of ourselves how we are feeling, what we have got going on, something we want to celebrate, how we carry ourselves at work. And by a sector that is so driven in a way from female empowerment to make us feel great, behind the curtain, there is so much harm going on to women all around the world. The fashion industry has no choice but to become sustainable and play its role. It is responsible for so much harm and it makes a lot of money by harming people and planet. And we're at a point now, especially of where we have sat in the last year through this pandemic together, that as a sector, it has to be held accountable and it has to become sustainable. And let's just dive a little bit more into that, Carrie. So when you say it causes harm, are you talking about the treatment of garment workers, their pay, water usage, environmental damage. Please give us some examples of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at this, you can, first of all, let's start with garment workers. When we see a piece of clothing, we don't understand what has gone into this. We hear the term supply chain, but we're very detached from what that means. As we've discussed before, it's a human chain but we're not aware of the poor working conditions people are in, the unfair hours, the unfair wages, and then that's the garment workers. Then if you start pulling it away and looking at what's happening, over 20% of industrial wastewater and pollution is from the industry. There is reports out there that it actually plays a role in up to 10% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. And this is just for fashion. This is something in a way that is luxury to us to be able to have. And yet we're doing so much damage. And I think what we are seeing in the pandemic, what many consumers have not been exposed to before, whether it's because of digital and social media and the way that content now travels, we're actually now starting to learn that there are fashion brands with manufacturing all around us. It is not in another country. It is all around us. I'm sitting in the UK and it's been exposed over the last year of what's gone on with Boohoo in Leicester and the unfair treatment of the garment workers down to the point of trafficking. And People really do not connect the dots between the beautiful dress in their wardrobe to the hands that touched it to make it and how those people are being treated. So thank you for raising this issue, Carrie. I think one of the things that UNCDF focuses on is vulnerable and underserved communities. And the way that we intersect with the fashion industry is really on garment workers, because so many of them are women. So many of them are in least developed countries like Bangladesh. And exactly what you're talking about, their working conditions, their wages, make a huge difference in the quality of their lives. So this is something that all of us need to pay attention to. One of the SDGs, SDG 12, is on sustainable consumption and production. 
And I remember when we were negotiating this goal, I didn't really understand what it was, but developing countries were very insistent that we have something in there to talk about planetary boundaries. And the idea is that we shouldn't consume more than we can afford as a planet. But in a way, fashion as a business is constructed around constant consumption and constant upgrading and buying new things all the time. So how can the fashion industry, which makes its money from people buying its products, become sustainable and support sustainable consumption? It's such a great question. And I think it's a constant discussion at the moment, especially after the last year. And there's reports out there that for, you know, what, over the 7 billion people on this planet, the fashion industry makes 100 billion garments a year. And to even think about what that looks like, it's a struggle to understand and even conceive the why. Because we know that that's not going to every person on this planet does not have the clothing that's actually required for their everyday life. To become more sustainable, I actually think we need to take a step back and think about the fashion industry is non-regulated and it's fueled by greed. And what's happening is it's the action of several powerhouses at the top that are now controlling the environment for the rest of the sector who are trying to strive for positive change. And so much is also attached to where we are as citizens in our change of mindset and our purchasing behavior. What does it mean to consume? How do we then care for things, mend, repair? I hear people say, that doesn't make me feel as good as buying a new item. I like new, but again, that's the mindset of what has happened and how the fashion industry and the advertising industry have come together and done an incredible job to push us to constantly want to consume clothing, food, music, content. It's incredible what we actually now do as humans. It's frightening. And so when you look at what can the fashion industry do to be more sustainable as a whole, I really think the only way we're going to drive change at this point is policy, legislation, and there being laws and rules. Because right now, when people are stepping up to align and adopt the Sustainable Development Goals, they're doing it because they feel that responsibility. Nobody's telling them that they must. And that's where there's a huge divide. And I'm sure in many other sectors too, but in fashion, there's that divide of why should we? Who's going to stop us? We're going to make money. The consumers are now buying it. People spoke about it at the beginning of this pandemic. Wow, this will be a wake-up call to so many of us to do better. Yes, some of us that had never shopped local or wanted to support were doing much better. People were shocked about what COVID-19 brought to so many of our lives. But at the same time, while we talk about that, the reports of fast fashion brands with loungewear sales being the highest they've ever been in the history of their company. The only way to control that is governments and these legislations coming in and talking about what must happen for living wages. And beyond that, it shouldn't just be about just being able to live. It's fair wages for your skills and your talent. Then there's what is happening with water usage, or maybe it has to be monitored to what is going to happen as we keep depleting resources that the planet does not have and is able to give us, but as a sector we're taking. But for me, I'm very strong on the, we see people talk about challenges, but is it challenges or excuses? And there reaches a point 
where we understand it's challenging, but it is the right thing to do and we need to do it. We get caught up in talking about the future in 2030, but look how we're living. We need it now. So I had no idea, Carrie, when we invited you on the show that you were actually a radical who was asking, who would be thinking to ask us to rethink capitalism and ent- our entire society. <laughs> so I'm thrilled that we're having this discussion. This type of uh, thinking is really very prevalent in the United Nations today, especially the pandemic, I think, has put attention on the idea that the capitalist system that we currently have that drives world growth, that counts income earned only, is not working for the planet, for many groups that are being left behind, for inequality, for resource use. And so we need to collectively come up with a better way to live. And if that's not buying 10 dresses and wearing the same dress again. I think that's a really very pragmatic solution and a great idea that you're putting for our listeners that their own behavior, their own consumption patterns have a direct impact on these big issues that we're talking about and that there are many things they can do individually to affect the achievement of these goals on a global level. So what can our listeners do as consumers to ensure that the brands they support are working to become more sustainable? I think it's a great question and it's something that we need to realize as citizens that whilst I am saying we need change from legislation and policy and so forth, as citizens we have a lot of power. Our decisions of how we spend our money, how we are voting with our wallet as they say, And then not just that, it's not just how you're spending. Can you support local? Can you understand more about what's going on? But then when you want to learn about your brands, you should research them. But I am also not naive to say that these brands aren't greenwashing or rainbow washing, as I like to refer to the SDGs. It's consumers can research. But then beyond that, how much truth are they being told? So the most important thing is look at what you already own. Look at what you have. And I think we've got to get over the misconception of someone saying, that's fast fashion. The reality is it's not always the product. It's not the skill that is the issue. It was how that worker was treated. The skill put into making a dress is still there, whether it was $20 or $200. And sometimes these things are actually being made in the same factory by the same very skilled worker, but it is the worker that has not been treated or compensated correctly. It's not the product. So even if you have a $20 dress and it gets a hole in it, mend it. If you've got pieces in your wardrobe and you want to rediscover what's in there, I say to people, shop your wardrobe. There is very talented local tailors. I can't sew for the life of me, but I have learned to connect with local tailors and seamstresses to rediscover and bring back a piece to life or change it. Our bodies change over time, especially as women. And I think it's not about, hey, I'll throw it away and replace it swapping, thrifting, these things have become so at our fingertips now, whether it's through apps or your community or with friends and family, keeping 
products that are already there amongst us and circulating them and then enjoying them. And one thing I've been doing more of over the years, because I, before the pandemic actually, I was a big renter of fashion. I've got a capsule collection of clothing that comes with me that is very basic. And then I would rent clothing for events or camera opportunities and keep circulating them. But in the pandemic, One, I've had nowhere to go. And two, the rental has been very different. And I have learned to reconnect with my wardrobe and think about why I bought it, what it was for, and look at the memories that have been created from that. When we have restaurants that we love, for example, we go back there time and time again for anniversaries or birthdays or date nights or memories. And I think we need to start doing that with our wardrobe too. I agree. And I remember when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, one of the fashion magazines had a spread where they showed her wearing her favorite white suit and then how many important events she had worn it to, like G7, meeting with the Russians. It's memories and it belongs to you and you created stories in that outfit or piece or accessories. And it's about understanding that when you hold something in your wardrobe, somebody made that. There is a human connection that somebody brought that to you. And how do you respect them and their journey? And how do you continue on to respect the clothing? We've got to stop all these things going to landfill. Don't get caught up when you think, oh, I'm recycling. Where do you think it goes? People are talking about now that everything that's ever been made is still somewhere on this earth. And it's not in good places. It's in people's rivers and oceans and piling up on people's homes, even on fields and things. And so it's really about understanding what you have, connecting with it, and not being overwhelmed even by the term of how do you become more sustainable. It's habits in your lifestyle that step by step, you start realizing by your choices and your day-to-day actions and activities that you are starting to lead a lifestyle that is much better for everybody. And I think the key word there is respect. I think all of us would realize that our grandparents would never throw away a garment or throw away food, that they grew up in a time where there was not this expectation that waste was a measure of how wealthy you were, but they treated everything as a precious resource because there was not a limitless supply of it. And we really need to go back to that mindset and that way of thinking. To add to that, if you don't mind, some of my fondest memories as a child, and I didn't sometimes connect this, and it obviously had an influence on my career and choices, was my grandma used to take me around all the charity shops thrifting and I'd be so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed while the girls at school were getting all these new dresses for the disco and things like that. And I had an outfit that my grandma was upcycling and repurposing and who knew I'd be the coolest kid in school now, but I wasn't back then. There was so much shame attached to it. And that's really a shame because you were a sustainability pioneer before anyone knew what that was. And also you had an individual style. Pieces, everything. And my grandma would do it for the town, sewing shirts and making things. And I remember always with a sewing machine and I've grown up with my mom knitting and making beautiful cardigans and jumpers. And you're like, yeah, this is a skill. And this is something that definitely did not get passed down to my generation. And I think we're really seeing a reappreciation of these traditional skills that were considered women's work of knitting, sewing, making your own clothes, cooking. I bake my own bread and my grandmother didn't 
eat a lot of bread, but she made all her own food and cakes and was a wonderful cook. And I think we were raised to think, oh, it's less good to have food from home. You should eat in a restaurant that's more fancy. But now we're seeing that it's exactly the opposite, right? That it's more healthy. It's better for your children. You eat fewer chemicals if you're eating at home. And all of that, of course, is applicable to clothing, consumption, all these other behaviors that we have. So yeah, I think the lesson is we just need to be more like our grandmas, right? I always joke, I say the grandmas are like the OGs of sustainability. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Great. So what are some innovative ways? We know you've laid out really compellingly all the evils of the industry, but we know that there are a lot of fashion industry players as well who are making progress on sustainability. So please tell us some of the innovative ways that they're doing that. It's actually incredible, some of the things that people are doing. And again, they're doing it off their own backs. And it's amazing to see. So when you look at the design side, there's now brands out that are using deg stock. They're upcycling. They are working with brands. For example, I'm thinking here of Patrick McDowell based out of the UK and how he was working just with scraps and turning them into beautiful pieces. And at the time that he was doing it, people were like, that's not my style. I'm not sure. And then he actually started working with Swarovski for some of their crystals that they were going to get rid of and they worked together. And now Patrick is trailblazing the way that actually when the lockdown lifts in the UK, as we're slowly coming out of, he's just partnered up and now has placement in Selfridges. And if you look at that journey, I don't even think he thought that was going to happen anytime soon, but it's incredible that it's being embraced. Then when you look at Mara Hoffman, for example, they run a program called Renewed, and that's all focused on trying to keep the clothes out of landfills for as long as possible. And that focuses on working with their customers to repair, clean, and reselling products to really extend the garment's life cycle. And it's really looking at how do we make sure we can divert textile waste from landfills. And it's very powerful. You've got many of these brands doing this. You could then also look at lensing. And lensing is a fiber that works with many of our favorite brands that actually you probably wouldn't even realize it. But they are very focused on what they can do with wood pulp and how they are changing the textile value chain with raw materials. And their whole focus is working towards really understanding with brands. But the great thing that they do, they're talking about raw materials to the consumer. So when they work with Eileen Fisher, for example, it's on the hang tags that you as a consumer can understand how you are now about to wear eco-responsible wood-based fiber. And it's now all of these things that are happening. And I'll tell you a new one that's come out and I love is Fashion Makes Change. And that actually is in support of the ILO Better Work program. And what that's doing is it's a platform technology where major brands are behind this. And when a consumer is shopping, they have the option to round up and donate their change. And that is a very simple behavior change option for a consumer, how they can play their role. And then the money is then going into a program for women's empowerment, gender equality, and really building on education as well and supporting the supply chain. 
That's great, Carrie. Thank you very much for telling us about that campaign. The ILO, of course, is the International Labor Organization, part of the UN family, and there is an SDG about decent work. So it's terrific to hear about these innovative ways that the industry is partnering with UN entities to help achieve some of these SDGs. Carrie, what is one thing that you would change if you could to accelerate progress to achievement of the SDGs? The law. <laughs> it's it, For me, it's the law, it's the legal workings. It's how can we crack systemic change and really make businesses accountable for doing good? Just like the governments across all countries have programs and support for businesses to succeed and drive, we really need to now tap into that, the accountability that if you're going to do business, how do you do it for good? And it's not a difficult element. And we know in the European Union, for example, there are increasingly disclosures about climate impact for companies, and that because of the increase in ESG investing, companies are increasingly being asked to disclose things like their impact on the environment, on social justice, on governance issues and gender balance of their boards. So why shouldn't we add more disclosure requirements for fashion companies to to report on their impact on all of these issues? And the transparency of things and how this money is being made and really just getting fashion to decouple from growth. And understanding that you can still have success, but does it need to be at the metrics that it's currently measured? And there is discussions, and I would love to see this more and maybe more mandatory, where they're starting to roll out where stakeholders and companies will actually be measured on their impact, not the financial basis. And that's what bonuses and so forth could be looked at. But the reality is the money that is moving in the fashion industry is extremely unequal and we need to redistribute and we need to have new measurements of what is success for fashion. And that's very consistent with demands of a similar kind in the investment industry for increasing metrics for fund managers so that there are some impact metrics or reflection of the impact of their investments in their compensation. So I think it's very, I think you're seeing this movement across multiple industries. And for our listeners, just to feel very empowered that you have so much power as a consumer that you can demand these things from the brands that you're buying from. That is what's happening. I think some of these brands that we're seeing the way we are questioning like why are they talking about sustainability and you realize it's because their customers want to see it they want to be able to purchase with a purpose they want to be able to shop their values they don't want to be burdened with okay I'm going to buy this dress, but hold on, I'm now finding out the women that made this are being mistreated and harmed. And then on top of that, the chemical usage is terrible. That's not what people are connecting, purchasing something for themselves with. And we really need to work on this. Excellent. So shop your values, shop your closet, mend, upcycle, recycle, buy less, focus on quality, and all of us working together can help achieve this SDG. Thank you so much, Carrie, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks also to our audience for tuning in to UNCDF's podcast, Capital Musings. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, and our website, 
www.uncdf.org.